1: my own way, I repent, I make a 180 degree turn and I begin to go God's way. And there's some things in some of your lives today that God's saying, Hey, there needs to be repentance. There needs to be a change. Something needs to take place in a directional
0: shift in your life. Hey, have you ever found yourself
1: running from God? H- have you ever been in a situation where it was clear that God was speaking? Perhaps that God, as we say in church setting, was calling you to do something, and, and yet you were, you were running. That's what we're going to see took place in Jonah's life today, but I, I just want to let you know that there have been times in my life where that's taking place. There have been times When I've sinned and I ran from God. Because I was a follower of Christ, I, I knew that choices that I were making were, were against the will of God. I could hear Him speaking into my life. We call that the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I knew that I was doing wrong, but I kind of shut Him out, as you'll see Jonah did. And, and as I walked down that sinful path, you know what happened? There were consequences in my life, and there's consequences for those around you always, my family and, and churches I've been a part of. And so that's an example. I, I can think of a time, though, way back back when I was in essence running from God's call. I believe when I was 12 years old at a camp God began to stir in my heart a commitment just to put my yes on the table to serve him with my vocation. And the camp I was at was about three hours from my house. And in that three hour church van ride from that camp back to my house, I had talked myself into what I was going to tell my dad who happened to be the pastor. Now that camp sent letters to the pastor of the church so that they would know everyone who made a decision in that camp and what that decision was. So my dad in about a week got a letter that said, hey, your son, or he didn't call it your son, but Paul Purvis made a decision to commit his life to vocational ministry. And my dad came to me and I said, yeah, you know, I think what that means is that I'm just supposed to serve God with my vocation, whatever that vocation is. My dad said, okay, son, well, well, that's great. And that was wise of him. But uh, the next several years, I think not in an active way, but an inactive way, I was running from God. It was not until my junior year in the end of my junior year in college where I was pursuing a degree, my college degree in political science. I had already mapped out my life and headed toward law school and was already working in Washington, D.C., for one of our U.S. Senators, and, and I sense I was, I was being disobedient to God. I was at odds with His plan and His will for my life, and, and so I knelt by a, a bed there in that college apartment, and I said, God, I don't know what the question is, and I certainly don't know what the answer is, but, but my yes is on the table for you. And, and that decision changed everything. There were consequences for the rest of my life. And then I can think back almost eight years, eight years and one month from today, um, I had begun a conversation with a guy named David right here in Temple Terrace, Florida. And God was beginning to stir for what would be a call on my life, but I was not interested. And it took about six weeks to two months before I was willing to say, oh, okay, God, my yes will be on your table. Because I've learned through life that when you don't respond in obedience to the will of God, when he's knocking at the door, when he's calling in your life, the results are usually disastrous. And that was certainly the case for this guy named Jonah. He was a prophet. He already had a record as speaking for God and making a difference among God's children. And now God speaks to him and, and Jonah. Chapter 1 and tells him to go to Nineveh. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh, though it was a world city, was a wicked city. It was a place where no one wanted to be. In fact, as I mentioned last week, the Ninevites had this, uh, this uh, ability, the Assyrian regime, they would take uh, people that they didn't like out into the desert and bury them up to their necks in sand, drive a stake through their tongues, and just leave them there to rot and to go crazy in the desert. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. And so the Bible says that, that he turned downward and he went down to a city called Joppa. We'll talk about this more in a minute. But, but then he took a boat to Tarshish and out in the sea when he was on that boat in this place far away as he could get from Nineveh and Tarshish, a storm came and, and, and there arose a great ruckus and we see that there's a problem that began to stir in Jonah's life because he ran from God. So I would just ask you again, has there ever been a time where you've run from God? But more importantly, are you running from God today? I I like the way someone put this first chapter of Jonah. They described it this way, summing it up: Jehovah, please, Jonah flees. God said, "Go." Jonah said, "No." Ship is salt, and ticket is bought. Down deep, fast asleep. Captain awoke, prayer invoked, lots cast. Jonah's last questions pop. Jonah copped. Stormy sea, all about me. To calm the tide, it's over the side. Row and row, still too slow. One, two, three, into the sea. Storm cleared. Sailors feared. Jonah despaired. Fish prepared, scrumptious dish belly of a fish That's what we're going to discuss today. Hey God often calls us out of our comfort zone into accomplish his will. So we're going to see a story of rebellion. I told you in a moment we would talk about Jonah going down to Joppa. Jonah lived in Galilee. Now it's interesting because it, you can't read Jonah without seeing what we call theologically a type or a symbol of Christ. We see that over and over again throughout this book, and we'll mention that even more today, but isn't it interesting that he even lived in the area where Jesus ministered? And so he went down to Joppa. Joppa was then a port city. It still is today. Uh, A few months ago, my son Caleb and I, with some of the folks from our church, had a chance just to stand out there on the edge of the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and you can see it, it was kind of a cool place to be. It was a sunny day at the beach. It may have been that way when, when Jonah went. And we remembered that when you're running from God, just because the circumstances seem sunny and everything seems okay, you can get a ticket to the boat, that doesn't mean that it's God that's opening the door. Somewhere in church life, we've, we've lost it, and, and Christians think, well, it's an open door. It must be God. That's just not, it's not true, people. And so Jonah went down to Joppa in the state of rebellion. And here's what we learned last week about rebellion. When God speaks his will into our lives and we respond with disobedience, we enter into a state of rebellion and there are consequences that negatively affect us and everyone else in our little corner of the world. Now, why was Jonah in rebellion? Well, first of all, he had a, a head problem. In his mind, he had the wrong attitude. So the moment we're going to pray, and, and part of what I want you to pray is, God, give me an attitude that's pleasing to you. Help, help me to have an attitude um, that, that really lets me receive all that you want me to receive today. Man, there's a lot of life's problems that stem from a sorry attitude. You want to see how easily people get a bad attitude, just turn on social media and see how easy it is to complain about politics and to complain about your football team and to plain, complain about church and, and what you don't like about it. It's so easy to get caught up in a bad attitude. He had a bad attitude. He had a head problem. But he, he also um, he had a heart problem. He had the wrong affections. You see, uh, an important biblical principle is that anytime we love anything more than we love our God, our affection is misplaced. And we're going to revisit that, but I, I really want you to think about that. Is there anything that is taking my affection from the place it is supposed to be? And, and then if you'll allow me, he had a hands problem. Now what do we do with our hands? That's where the activity begins to take place. And so he had, he had actions that were displeasing him. God, and that's the, that's the progression. If you're not thinking right, it's usually a result because your, your heart is not right. And that's going to lead you to do wrong. We talked about that for several weeks as we studied the Good Samaritan because we said that what you are affects what you see. What you see affects how you feel and how you feel impacts what you do. That's the state of rebellion that Jonah was in. I want us to understand this because we need to recognize that when God calls us to do something, and He may be calling some of you to do something today, when God calls us to do something, it challenges every area of our lives. For Jonah, it challenged His conviction. What's right? And some of you, as you wrestle with what God wants you to do, you're going to have to decide what do I really believe? What is truth? challenges conviction. It challenges compassion. What do I love most? Where does my love lie? Just as we talked a moment ago, it challenges your comfort. What am I willing to do? Where am I willing to move beyond? And it challenges your commitment. Do I really have a a, a whatever it takes mentality?
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
1: Well, so Jonah rebels and then as we continue in Chapter 1 this week, we see the next step. Jonah... Continues into a state of repentance. And that's exciting. And that's where some of us may be today. God may be leading you to a place of repentance. Repentance is that biblical word. It's the Greek word in the New Testament called metanoia. It means a 180 degree change of direction. You probably, if you've hung out in church ever before, you've heard this described. It means I'm going this way, my own way, I repent, I make a 180 degree turn, and I begin to go God's way. And there's some things in some of your lives today that God's saying, hey, there needs to be repentance. There needs to be a change. Something needs to take place in a directional shift in your life. And then we're going to see as we continue in this study that he moves into a stage of restoration and then a stage of revival in his life. I really believe God wants to bring about restoration in your life, in relationships with him and in relationships with others. But I also want to, I want to believe that he wants to bring revival in your life and in our church. Now, just think about what does that mean? Just, what does revival mean? Well, what does it sound like? To revive, to bring life. And some of you would say, I'm spiritually dull, I'm spiritually dead, I've not got excited about the things of God in a long time. I believe God wants to bring revival, and I pray that it begins today. In fact, I'm going to go a step further, and this is your big idea for today, so get this down. I believe God wants to work miracles in and around you, but it all begins when you recognize His Lordship, and you begin to call on His name. Now I want you to think about this. What miracle do I need God to work in my life? For some of us, it's a relational miracle. For some, it's a provisional miracle. It's your finances or your job or or your housing. For some, it's a physical miracle. You're crying out to God for mental or emotional or physical healing. For others still, it's just that spiritual miracle. Maybe you're crying out for salvation for someone that you deeply love or or that they're brought back to God. So I want us to pause right now and do what we've done a few times already in this service. Seek the face of God in prayer and ask Him to work in a mighty way and begin to do miracles as we call on His name. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we are so thrilled to be gathered in your presence. There's a lot to celebrate today. We've already celebrated in this room, believers' baptism with three individuals. I was so excited to see them as they came up out of that water just to congratulate them. God, I thank you for the step they've taken in their faith journey. God, there's a lot of other things we could celebrate. You have worked in our individual lives throughout this week, and we give you praise. But we also come today seeking you. We recognize though we praise you for who you are and call on you as the Lord, we need you to work in our lives. So begin with this simple request, Father. Would you give us ears and eyes that hear and see what you want us to hear and see today? God, would you give us a heart and mind that is receptive to your still small voice and to your will in this time together? God, would you change us? Jesus, as I prayed, I I, I would ask again that you would call somebody to salvation because we're here in this room. God, I pray that the words I say and even my thoughts these next few minutes please you. And for all of this, I say thank you in advance, knowing that you are a God that hears our prayer and answers as we pray according to your will. So work miracles for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What a great story this is. and I, I can't wait to continue to jump into it. Let's start reading in John chapter one in verse four. This is the word of God. I want to remind you, this is not a fairy tale or fiction. This is truth. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Hey, don't miss the reality that God sent this storm. Sometimes God is willing to break up your plans in order to accomplish his purposes. Did you get that? God may step into your zone of comfort And break up your plans so that he accomplishes his perfect and his pleasing will in your life. Look at verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid. Of course they were. The ship was about to break up. They each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the innermost part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So, for the second time in this short story, we're not even to verse six, and we learn that God is at work and Jonah's asleep. God is speaking, Jonah is sleeping. God is asking Jonah to move, he's calling him, and Jonah's ignoring the call. I told you there's some parallel. Do you remember a story of anybody else in the Bible sleeping in a boat? (laughs) Did you know that Jesus was asleep in a boat on the Sea of Galilee? Storm rose up. Matthew 8, 24 tells a story that they ran to Jesus in the same way that these sailors ran to Jonah and, and they said,
0: there's a storm.
1: And Jesus spoke the words and it calmed the storm. The power to calm the storms is always found in the word of God. And the irony is, Jonah had the same word of God. He had the same power. He had the same access. Look in verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They said to one another, come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Now let me mention a couple of things here because it's important not just to glide over any part of scripture. First of all, I believe as this talks about casting lots, it speaks to the reality even that exists today that we live in a spiritual world. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter six that our battles are not against flesh and blood, but against what? Those spiritual forces, it says, of darkness. And the reality is, I I want you to understand, even today, be careful what you meddle in. Because there are spirits at work in our world around us that may seem innocent and harmless to you in a moment that could take you down a wrong path. Let me also say that this is not a biblical affirmation of gambling. And while I'm going to move back quickly, I, I just, I want you to understand that there are a number of, of biblical reasons why any kind of gambling is not smart. One is just faithful stewardship as managers of what God's given you. Now there's, there's no way you, you can look at the dangers and the harm that comes from any kind of gambling and not see that it's displaced stewardship and management of that which God's given you. Second is just a reality looking at the facts. The facts bear that the benefits of winning in any kind of gambling operation are always outweighed by the negative impact even among the winners that it causes so anyway so what happened here then well they i think invoked the spiritual realm and they said to their gods they were praying to gods with a little g would you show us who is the cause of this what's going on by the way proverbs 16 33 i read it this morning early it says this the lot is cast into the lap but every decision is from who the Lord. So what happened? Look at verse eight. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. They're talking to Jonah. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? (laughs) They were full of questions. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Now, Some of you know this just from being in church for a while. When you see in your English translation of scripture, Lord, all caps like that, what does that tell you? What name of God is that referring to? It's always referring to Yahweh. For the Hebrew people, for the Jewish people, they would not even voice that name. So Jonah says, I I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea. In the dry land. Notice the response. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. What an important lesson. When you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, even those who don't follow God, that are in your little corner of the world, know when you've walked away from his presence. Please understand this. You've got coworkers, you've got classmates, you've got neighbors and they know that you got up this morning and you came to church. They know that you profess to follow Christ but they see the rest of you and if it's inconsistent with that professed walk they see it. They see when you're fleeing the presence of the Lord. If it is consistent they see that as well. Look at verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. And he said to them, (laughs) notice this, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great temptus has come upon you. All right, class, let's do a quick pop quiz. Is there any other answer Jonah could have given? Do you think maybe he could have said, Yeah, I tell you what you need to do. Turn the boat around, head back to Joppa, let me off. I got to go where he told me to go. That would have been the obedient response. But even in this moment, he did not respond with obedience. He would rather die than do the will of God. Do you see that? What began as a step in the wrong direction became a desire for self-destruction. He gave up when God simply wanted him to get up and to go after it. And I, as a pastor, have seen this time and time again. People go down that sinful spiral and they find themselves in a situation so far away from God that their hearts and even their minds are hardened to his will and they would rather give up than get right.